Before we begin this episode, I'd just like to take a quick moment and apologize once again. My laptop decided that it was going to just switch which microphones it was going to record with before we actually started recording, and my sound quality is an absolute mess of hot garbage. Thankfully, my guest did sound fantastic. But my audio, my own audio stream is so incredibly subpar, but I decided to go with it because if I were to re-record the episode, the reactions would not be genuine, and I felt it better to keep the genuine reactions for the conversations rather than try to fake it for the sake of the sound quality. Is that the right decision? I honestly don't know, but that's what I'm going with, so here we go. Crosstalk, the unintentional transfer of signals between communication channels. A casual conversation. This is Video Game Crosstalk, episode 038 of the monthly podcast of Gamers Talking Tech Science and Whatever Else Comes to Mind. I'm your host, Anthony Rossi, and with me this episode is the writer and creator of the comic Lonely Girl, Rebecca Baer. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you for coming out on uh, such short notice. Yeah, not a problem. Okay. Things have been accelerated. Over at the Rossi household as of late. Uh, I know I've mentioned it on the podcast, but a quick little update of the family situation going on. My wife is due October 10th with our second child. Yay! Which means she's like seven months pregnant right now. And (laughs) so things have been, you know, it's. I am selfish, and I realize I'm selfish for any of the complaints I may have, but you know, everything's going along just fine. But that means that you know, it's everything it takes a little bit longer. My son, who is going to be turning three uh, also in October, he is very much active at this point. He is speaking in full sentences. He is full toddler mode, and he he's an active one, which is a good thing, right? He's running all over the place saying, Daddy, chase me. Daddy, come get me. And, of course, you know, when the toddler demands that you go chase him, you get off your butt and you go chase the little monster all around the backyard. So between all of that, it's been it's been a busy, <laughs> busy time. But I am thankful that I finally have been able to carve out uh, – a weeknight to finally get this recorded. We are recording this on August 30th. And so I'm like just making my timeline, just making the deadline to keep <laughs> this as a monthly podcast. I'll, I'll uh, probably publish this most likely in September, but I got it recorded before the end of the month. <laughs> How are things been going with you? Uh, things are going good. Um, right now I have a lot going on. I'm doing rehearsals for a play in North Creek. Yeah, we're doing a show called The Uninvited. It's uh, in October, the 18th, 19th, and 20th. It's a nice spooky story. So I've been pretty busy drawing comics. Uh, yeah, uh, doing the rehearsals and working on a new CD that I'm putting out that's like modernizations of 80s songs. So. Well, I wasn't even planning on talking about either one of those things. <laughs> but I think I might have to get back to that in just a little bit. <laughs> Also, yes. you're so you're like all over the place in the arts, aren't you? Oh yeah, everything: acting, singing, dancing, you name it, I do it. Very cool. Very cool. Well, yeah. before we get into any of that, you know what? Screw it. We're gonna get right into that. <laughs> so, so wow, that just like threw a curveball for me. Uh, but okay, so we'll start with let's start with the comic. Okay. Because that, this is what I've been even really wrong. I can talk better. <laughs> I've been able to meet you a couple times at the local cons. Uh, definitely the Saratoga, was it the Saratoga con? Saratoga, I, yep. was, uh, I was finally able to get a, little, a quick interview 
with you for one of my live events. And you are the creator artist of Lonely Girls. So give us a quick synopsis on that. Okay, so Lonely Girls, a comic that is for probably younger kids to junior high kind of age. Um, it's a story about a group of misfits that kind of find each other um, because they all don't fit in. So okay. there's a tomboy character, a goth girl, a math nerd, and a one-eyed talking cat that is quite Yay. grumpy. Yes. <laughs> that gives his opinions on life all the time. Um, so, and uh, I just started the third book, which we're going to bring in some new characters. Oh, nice. Yeah, um, a dog, because everybody asks for a dog, so. <laughs> well, I do have two dogs, and actually, it just came up on my Facebook memories when we uh, first adopted our first dog, and that was a full eight years ago, and we adopted her when she was three, three and a half. So, yeah. she's getting up there. She's becoming a cranky old lady, but, but she's, yes. she's still doing well. So, so, yay for bringing dogs into the story. Yes, I thought that um, it would be fun to let the dog drive uh, Spooky Cat crazy because it would be a fun way to get him more involved with the characters. Okay. And I'm assuming Spooky Cat is sufficiently and appropriately snarky as all cats are. Yes, he is. He's a one-eyed talking tuxedo cat, and he's quite grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> he's so, actually based on my real cat. So. Oh, okay. So yeah. does Grump, the, uh, the Spooky Grumpy One-Eyed Cat giving life advice or just adding snark to the, the story? He does. He has a section at the end of each comic called The World According to Spooky Cat. Okay. And he actually gives advice um, about different things. One is, for example, one of them is how it's important to put down your cell phone and spend time with the people you're with. Okay. Um, so he goes on his little tangents about things like that. Well, very nice. So how long have you been doing this comic? Um, I've been doing it since 2015. Um, it started kind of on accident. Um, unfortunately, my mom had died of cancer, and uh, I just couldn't sing. I was just too heartbroken. So um, a friend of mine said, well, you should draw a comic. And uh, so that's how Lonely Girl started. She bought me art supplies, and I just started drawing, and it just happened. That is absolutely wonderful. Yeah, it was a really great healing experience. Okay. Okay, so have you done much drawing prior to this? Not really. I did a kid's book in, like, senior year of high school. We had a homework assignment where we had to draw, like, a kid's book, and I got okay. like, super into it and okay. drew all the pictures. But that was about it. Um, and I never even thought of it, but I always doodle my cat. And that's when my friend said, wow, you can really draw a cat. You should do a comic about your cat. And that's kind of how it started. Okay. So, I mean, the unfortunate circumstances, of course, and I, I give his sympathies for, well, I, I have in my, the show notes, inspiration. Uh, that's kind of, didn't expect it to get this dark this quickly. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, Lonely Girl has a lot of dark inspirations. It's okay. a, it's very, it's about being rejected. I wrote it while I was grieving. Um, I'm a social worker, so I bring a lot of that into it, but it takes dark things and turns them into positive things. Okay. Well, that's, that's inspiring in its own way and probably healthier coping mechanisms than, than what most people tend to turn to. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I'm going to draw cats. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Right, that makes you happy. That makes yeah, everyone exactly. happy. Yeah. So, because um, Lonely Girl is very much based on my experience growing up. I was bullied okay. really badly in high school. So, because um, I was the only goth in my entire high school. So, and it was the 90s. So, it was, you know, Marilyn Manson, Nine Inch Nails, you know. Mm -hmm. um, right. Yeah. So uh, that's why you see a lot of 90s bands referenced in Lonely Girl, is because it's just. <laughs> just because of my childhood. And they're cool again now, so the modern kids know who I'm talking about. It's so weird sometimes. Yes. It really is, because I, I had a very awkward adolescence. Uh, I didn't know where I fit in, in my school, in my society. I, I was just kind of all over the place, never really latching. I mean, I latched onto a few people, but it was... I just kind of floated through 
Mm. And it was odd in my teen angst years where in the hardcore punk rock, ska, metal scene, just anything that had really aggressive music was mm-hmm. where I found my peace. Mm. Have you ever heard of anyone like referencing oh, yeah. that? Okay. Oh, yeah, it's like I found my sanctuary at the bottom of a mosh pit somehow. And <laughs> it was like this bizarre equalizer, I guess. Because when you're in the music, when you're in that scene, you're at the show and you're you're basically throwing down and letting loose just a full body catharsis. Everyone becomes equal and everyone is just there to appreciate the moment. And it's almost a Zen experience. Like, Oh yeah. Music brings okay. into the moment. It connects you. That's one of the reasons why music is such a big part of a lot of what I do is because okay. I like to feel that connection to other people. All right. All right. So we also mentioned day job as a social worker. Are you allowed yeah. to speak about that? Yeah, yeah. I can give you generics. Yeah. Okay, beautiful. How long have you been working in social work? Uh, Probably about 10 years. All right, so 10 years. Yeah. So what type of training goes into this? Um, Yeah, so I uh, had to get, well, first I got my two-year, then I got my four-year, and then I actually just started working straight in the field. I started working in community mental health. Okay. and then uh, what I do now is I work for a nonprofit and we do things like run a food pantry, we have a clothing center, and I kind of meet with families and kind of see what they need. And mostly I do a lot of talking to people who are dealing with difficult times and just okay. kind of being with them and helping them through it. Okay. Uh, so beyond typical college, university, are there additional uh, training or workshops or certifications that are required for social work? Um, there are if you want to go into private practice, but since I work for an agency, I didn't have to do that. But I do a lot of training on my own. Like I take uh, courses online and update things, you know, always mm-hmm. make sure I'm learning so that I can do the best that I can at my job. Right. So what are some of the more recent workshops that you've attended? Um, so I've done a lot through Dartmouth because they have a lot of evidence-based practice stuff oh, nice. that they do. Yeah, so that's more like person-centered and less med management help for people, more like wraparound care. So that's kind of my passion. Uh, okay. Yeah. Nice. If that makes sense. It's a lot of oh. social work jargon. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I try to have this as a podcast of we're talking tech and science, so I'm, I was able to follow along. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fairly sure my uh, listeners would be able to as well. We, there'd be plenty of nerds out there <laughs> yeah. who listen to this show. So, yeah, we're a big fan of the evidence based. We, we need to hear evidence based. Yeah, exactly. yeah. We need, yeah, not, not just hearsay or conjecture. We need, we need to back it up. Yeah. We need reliable sources. I had a, one guest on who is a registered dietitian, and we. I had a quick side tangent on how important double-blind studies are. And we had a little chant of how double-blind is your friend and double-blind is bay uh, for a little, for a quick second. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, evidence-based. That's, yeah. That, that's the good stuff right there. Yeah, yeah, it's more person-centered. It's more about how the person feels. And, yeah. So, do you have any specializations? Or are you doing just general work with it? Yeah, I specialize in mental health. So I do a lot of mental health advocacy, mostly for people who have severe persistent mental illness. Um, Not so much like situational stuff, like things that are more life altering. Um, Okay. Yeah. So So they just went through like a, a major life event that they're having issues with that? Yeah, I do some of that, but most of it is like if someone has a, a significant diagnosis. Okay. Yeah, I'm just okay. kind of helping them know what that means and helping them have as best as life as possible with their health concerns. Okay. I was recently just on 
well, I would say their podcast, but it was more they have a little side chat thing that they do. So the program is called Project Guardians, and the it originally was centered around the Destiny game, but the co-creators of the podcast are all well. They are either licensed mental health professionals or uh, advocates for mental health, and they do a lot of great work in the gaming community and uh, some other outreach things. And I really suggest anyone, if they have an interest or consider themselves an advocate for proper mental health and well-being, to definitely check them out. So I will definitely send you some information about them, and I'll definitely point them again in the show notes when I get this episode posted. Yeah, excellent. So in the very beginning, you mentioned that you do all sorts of art. You do the dance, you do the singing. How long? <laughs> Where did your art journey begin? Okay, so I've been singing since I was really little. My grandpa was an opera singer. Oh, he really? actually, Yeah, he actually got to sing Ave Maria at St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that was like the big family thing. Whoa, Grandpa's an opera singer. So um, mm-hmm. I, I luckily got his talent. So I had always been a singer, um, which led to acting because, you know, doing musicals um, mm-hmm. and things of that nature. So I took a lot of acting classes and really became really passionate about acting so far that I got into like Shakespearean acting and everything because I just really loved the stage. Um, I love being someone who's not me. It's Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So if you're just like singing, it's you. It's your heart. It's your feelings. But when you're a character, it's not you. Mm-hmm. So you have this like ability to use your talent without feeling vulnerable. Okay. So it's it's kind of nice. It's a nice place to hide in the theater. And I used to be really shy. I was super shy. And then I joined theater, and theater kids don't allow you to be shy. Um, so. <laughs> yeah, so um, I learned kind of how to talk and how to make friends a little bit better that way. And then, um, so obviously I had to take dance to be in theater, um, mm-hmm. okay. which I'm a terrible dancer, but I do it anyways. Um <laughs> And, uh, you can make it work for the sake of the performance. Yes, yes. Uh, so I did all that stuff. And then um, I've been in a lot of bands. I started in punk rock bands. Um, boy, yep. boy, boy. Yep, I played some pretty bad guitars that were probably, I'm glad no one has that on video. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and then I've been in um, some, I have an industrial band. Uh, that I work with with my husband and his brother. Um, so we do that um, now. We just did a cool acoustic set of industrial music, so that was fun, trying to figure out how to make it acoustic. <laughs> it's going to stay. I, industrial really isn't my scene, but I don't know how I can wrap my mind around acoustic covers of industrial tracks. Yeah, I don't... Um, my husband's brother, Joe, is like our main like musical genius and he figured it out thank god but um he's actually the the grumpy inspiration for spooky cat in the comics actually is my bandmate because he likes to go on these tangents about how he hates things and i thought it was funny so i incorporated it into the cat's personality uh is joe aware of this or did we just make him aware no he's aware actually in the first comic it says that uh it's based on him, so <laughs> so I actually had a friend of mine's daughter loves the comic, and she came to my birthday party, and she was acting really weird around Joe because she was so excited that he was the real life spooky cat. Oh, that's hysterical! <laughs> yeah, that is hysterical. Oh, do you? So I'm going to fly off on a quick tangent right now. Okay. Have you ever like experienced outside of that in particular uh, situation? Have you ever had people get a little, like, awestruck when meeting you because they've heard about you or they've read your work and they're excited to finally meet you? Uh, yeah, it happens a lot with the little kids. Um, that is so precious and adorable. Yeah, uh, especially if I'm doing Wicca Comic Con and we're also cosplaying. Um, because then you get them twice. The kids are like, oh my god, lonely girl, 
oh my god, you're Sailor Moon. <laughs> my head's gonna explode. So I always like to dress up as characters that the little um, kids like, so that um, they kind of know that Lonely Girl Table is a safe place for them. And gotcha. yeah, kind of get get them to come over and give them cat stickers and make them happy. Okay. <laughs> Yay! I've had that happen to me only a handful of times, and it's bizarre to me because as much as I love doing this podcast and I love doing the content creation, I think to myself. I'm not big enough to warrant admiration. I'm working on it. Uh, like, who am I? It is very strange because uh, I'm a person with pretty low self-esteem. Um, and so it's kind of bizarre to me because I'm like, what? I don't know. Like, me? You sure? You sure you want to talk to me? Are you sure? Yeah. I mean, I had kids ask me to sign the comic for them and I was like, what? Yay. <laughs> oh, so uh, qu- quick little etiquette of going to cons that I, I've personally found is that I actually love it when authors and artists will sign their work for me. Absolutely love it. And it just seems like that's the thing to do because you're actually meeting the artist or the author themselves. Like you have the opportunity so take the opportunity. And only once I picked up a, a copy of a comic from one of the indie artists at one of the cons. And she asked, would you like me to sign the book? And I was like, absolutely. And she said, thank you. Because she's actually had some people who have requested that she doesn't sign her book. Oh, wow. And I'm like, yeah. what? So... I was actually kind of surprised at the cons because of the name of the comic being Lonely Girl, because it's kind of about how you feel when you're 13. Um, A lot of people came up to me to tell me their stories about why they were lonely. And I met a lot of people who were very sad that just wanted someone to talk to. And I was like, that's fine. I'm a social worker. I can handle this, babe. Sit down. Okay, good, good. <laughs> yeah, so I talked to a lot of, um, and all different ages, some, you know, a lot of kids because of the comic, but a mm-hmm. lot of adults really identified with the feeling of feeling rejected, which is a common theme in the comic because Lonely Girl always feels rejected, even though she's very loved. by her friends and family um but i think that most teenagers feel that way so that's why it's a big part of the story it's i'm i waver between acknowledging and rolling my eyes and my teenage angst years (laughs) but at the same time also understanding that well yeah you can roll your eyes things weren't nearly as bad as they seemed but also acknowledging that it doesn't matter how it looks in retrospect. During that time, things can get very heavy very quickly. Yeah, and yeah, definitely. And I tackle a lot of heavy subjects, but try to make them lighthearted. Um, I spend a lot of time talking about bullying um, because it is still such a common occurrence. Um, When I was at Comic-Con, I brought a lot of really good tips for talking to your kids about bullying, how to stop bullying. Um, I brought all that stuff with me as well, because um, that's a big part of the comic and its mission. Um, But it also tackles things like you have a crush on a boy and he doesn't like you. It's not because you're ugly. It's because he just doesn't like you. It's all right, you know, um, and try to, like, put perspective on things that feel catastrophic when you're a teenager. Right. Right. And, like, watching my son grow and develop and develop emotions and struggle with handling his emotions because, you know, he's he's a toddler. Of course he's going to cry about everything. That's kind of like the joke on the Internet, why my toddler is crying right now. <laughs> you know? And uh, I've talked about this with some of my friends and uh, co-workers and I, I slowly it just kind of clicked in my head that yeah he's having a complete and total meltdown because this is the worst thing that's happened to him in his entire life he's yeah. only been on this earth for two and a half years so in all actuality yeah 
this is the worst he's ever felt in his entire life because that's all he's experienced so far. Yeah. And moving into your teenage years, yeah, this is the worst pain you've felt in your entire life. Uh, cynically speaking, buckle up, kid, it's going to get worse, but at that time... <laughs> but at the time, it feels overwhelming. Yeah, so um, that's what a lot of it is about. Um, I just finished an issue that is about how sometimes your best friends aren't the kids who like the same bands as you. They don't like the same movies as you. They don't look like you, but they love you. And that, um, you know, you don't have to have everything in common with your friends. You just have to be there for each other. But that's the most important thing. Because um, I think a lot of people are lonely, especially in the geek world, because they'll be really into something and they're like, no one else likes this. Um, but there are lots of people who do, obviously. But even if there isn't someone in your immediate world that does like it, you can still find people to share it with. And maybe you'll interest each other in things that you both like. Sure. So, yeah, so it's that's the latest issue I've been working on, kind of just... Uh, helping kids realize that you're not ever really alone. So yeah, the next, that book that I'm working on should be out soon. I'm in the final editing process. So the third book with the new issues will probably be available probably in like two months, I think. Very nice, we're looking forward to it. Right, so we're going to move on to some of the tech and geekery headlines that we've got. And prior to recording, I was just reviewing the articles I have posted in the show notes. And the first one up is the Dark Crystal Netflix series. And I will say that it's going to be coming to Netflix soon. But like I said, I just watched the trailer again, and it said, I have it playing right now on the screen in front of me. Yeah, only on Netflix August 30th. And I'm like, oh, that's today. That's today. Oh, I love The Dark Crystal. That movie scared the crud out of me when I was a kid, though. Oh, my God. So I I never watched The Dark Crystal as a kid. My parents probably knew better because they knew it was scary. So I didn't watch it until I was in college. And one of my friends uh, was like, Yo, you have to watch The Dark Crystal. So, like, all right, here, whatever. Jim Henson, Muppets, cool, sure, whatever. The, oh, my God, what is this? <laughs> and the guy's always going, hmm. <laughs> all creepy-like, and I'm like, this character is so creepy. <laughs> so. I was actually gelfling for Halloween when I was a kid. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, my wow. mom made my wings. It was wicked cool. <laughs> My mom was a wicked, cool, crafty, hippie lady. She made a lot of cool stuff. Oh, nice. Yeah. Actually, um, when I had to draw her for the comic, because I realized Lonely Girl was going to need parents, because she was a teenager, mm-hmm. um, I decided to draw a stereotypical hippie, because my mom really was one. She was obsessed with the Beatles. Um, she was always giving people peace signs and saying words like groovy. <laughs> so, um, so that's why Lonely Girl's mom is a hippie, because my mom was. Okay. <laughs> That works. So you're a fan of the Dark Crystal? Oh, yes. Just a little little bit? Yes, yes. Okay, so you clearly watched the trailer. Yes. I'm assuming several times if you're this much of a fan. And and I say that (laughs) with respect because when certain games start coming out, I will watch the trailer repeatedly. So I say that with love. Clearly, I say that with love. I mean, I go video game podcasts. Of course, I'm going to watch trailers (laughs) multiple times. It's not trying to fool anyone here. So now that I realize, or now that I am refreshed that uh, it's out right now, have you watched any of the episodes yet? No, I haven't. I actually don't have Netflix, so I have to con someone else into let me watch at their house. Okay, well, you you get them on the wire. You get them (laughs) somehow, get this worked out. I have faith in you. I I will. If you were... (laughs) One of them for Halloween as a kid, the, you owe it to yourself to have yeah. I'm a little nervous because I love the original so much. I'm, I'm a little nervous it'll let me down, you know? So, but yes. it is Netflix, so it's probably got a big budget, so that will help. Yeah, that Netflix has been... I have considered a few times creating like a special segment intro for some 
for Netflix talk, just because they come out with so much really good programming, like yeah. all the time. So like, if Netflix is taking something on, I'm like, we good, we'll be good. Yeah. Very few things on Netflix have I uh, like. Eh, this isn't working out too well. <laughs> like the first time where it really hit me was uh, the first of the Marvel series with Daredevil. Uh, it was just like so amazing, so dark. Like when Netflix wants to go dark, they go hauntingly dark. And mm. everything about this trailer just looks, I mean, it's puppetry, but this doesn't look like a kid's show. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you mentioned how it scared the crap out of you when you were younger. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, when that Skeksy disintegrates in the original, that was really scary as a kid. <laughs> Once in a while, there's like a scene or two that just is shocking. I mean, it's yes. a movie, it wasn't like a kid's movie or kid's show or whatever, but then every once in a great while, the writers will just put in this haunting, shocking scene <laughs> that just comes out of the blue. Like, I remember watching the Indiana Jones movies. And it was Raiders of the Lost Ark, where everyone melts at the end. Oh yeah. Like, the rest of the movie, not that violent, not that, not that grotesque, not, not, not all that bad. And then all of a sudden we have screaming face melting. Yeah. <laughs> Just kind of without warning. <laughs> but yeah, so you need to either con one of your friends, family members to let you swing by on a regular basis to bang this out, or you need to start swinging with someone else's Netflix password. Yeah. <laughs> one of the two. That's a good idea. Something, something needs to be done. Because Netflix is pretty open with people sharing accounts and passwords. Oh, yeah, uh, I saw that. Yeah, yeah they're, they're pretty open with it. We share ours. We got people with different accounts set up. Uh, I, oh, thankfully, have since made my own personal profile on our Netflix account, and now all of my suggestions are actually tuned to my preferences. Because oh, they're you know, not we, just for kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because you have kids of, at home. Well, I mean, Jacob's only three at this point, so he's not quite there yet. And uh, we do go either on my wife's or they have like a separate Netflix kids uh, profile. Mm-hmm. So we keep his we keep his crap off our profiles. Don't want that screwing up the metrics and the the algorithm. I, I don't need to see you know dinosaurs. Well, you know what dinosaurs are great for everyone, but it's besides the point. Uh, so again, Dark Crystal that looks like it's going to be absolutely fantastic. I'm currently watching Lucifer right now on Netflix. I don't know if you ever caught that while it was on. Uh, no, I never watched it. Yeah. It's, I heard it's good, though. Yeah, it's been really good so far. There are aspects of it where it is very network television, and I don't know if that's a proper descriptor for a TV show, but everything seems like really overproduced and superficial and kind of formulaic in a way, but that's the way it needs to be for mass appeal. And I've had some friends who have watched the full series, uh, at least what's been released so far, and I'm finishing up the last season while it was still on network TV, and, oh, here we go again, it became a Netflix show. So the last season was produced by Netflix, so I'm really anxious to see how that all turns out. But once mm. that's taken care of, definitely going to be jumping out the Dark Crystal. Yeah, Netflix is also doing a new Rocco's Modern Life movie. Really? And yeah, I'm pretty excited about that because um, Nicktoons, total mm-hmm. influence on me, especially the way I draw, because that's like how I learned how to draw was drawing Nicktoons, you know, like okay. Doug and, and Hey Arnold and Rocco and all that stuff. So um, I'm pretty excited because it'll be my childhood all over again. Yeah. was <laughs> a good one, too. Mm-hmm. They were watching it, but it was, it was solid. It was definitely yeah. a solid series. Moving on a little bit, Matrix 4 is happening, and I can't remember where I saw this online, but I cursed out my friends for not sending the article directly to me. Uh, Yeah, I was super excited about that. I actually found out before my husband did, and then he, like, came home, and he was like, Matrix 4, and I was like, yeah, I know. He was like, (laughs) no. 
Yeah, it's like, thanks for telling me. <laughs> oh, the, the original Matrix is something that, like, don't, don't try to remake it. Or at least you need to wait 30-something years. Or yeah, like about 30, no, we're not at 30 years yet, I don't think. think we're at, like, 20. <laughs> that was released in 99, right? I don't know. I think it was, like, 99-2000 is when the first Matrix came out. I'm looking at the article right now. So the article I'm going to post is from Forbes. And it is just a funny headline as well. Writing the Keanu sense, Keanu Reeves could propel Matrix 4 to new heights. So, yeah, Keanu is just doing his resurgence into the hearts of the internet. Oh, yeah. Everybody loves Keanu because he's such a nice guy. Yeah, that's the... He does all this nice thing. But, like, genuinely a nice guy. Yeah, like, yeah. Like... He bought an ice cream for somebody just so that he could give give them an autograph. So, because they really wanted one, this little kid, mm-hmm. and you know, I mean, like he's just a really nice guy. Just like genuinely a nice guy. Like he does nice things for people when like there's no cameras around, or he doesn't know that there's a camera around. Like, and he doesn't like credit for it because he gives a lot of money mm-hmm. away to charities, and he doesn't want any credit. <sighs> The world is not yeah, I wish more people were Keanu. Yeah, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I saw this one meme. Oh, it was great. It was this really, you know, it's like a Labrador or something. This really cute dog sitting next to some movie prop monster beast of a dog. And the caption was mm-hmm. uh, Keanu Reeves versus roles that Keanu Reeves plays. Because he. <laughs> Right? Between the Matrix and John Wick. He's just like this kung fu gunslinging badass. But in actuality, he's like the biggest sweetheart of Hollywood. So. Yeah, uh, I don't really like movies where it's just the basis is just basically killing a whole bunch of people, but I went to see John Wick just because I love Keanu. (laughs) Okay, likewise, because. I mean, I'm in the process. I've started doing and writing scripts for lore videos for Destiny. And I've got a bunch of scripts written, but I want to release like a set of videos in a group of five. We'll get into that later. <laughs> so clearly, I'm the type of person who really enjoys deep story and uh, allegory thrown in there and really developed worlds and nuance and civilizations that are created and relationships and all the all that good stuff so keanu reeves just pistol firing his way through a russian mob and like that's it just had no interest in me but yeah <laughs> it actually became like its own kind of joke and i didn't watch john wick 2 but i saw so i haven't seen john wick 3 yet either but i need to see these movies because i need to see how does all this culminate into a scene where Keanu is on horseback in L.A. so fighting <laughs> yeah, ninjas on motorcycles? Like, how did this come to be? How did we get here? He kills a guy with a horse. He kills him with the horse. You'll have okay, to watch yeah, it. See, it's really crazy. Thing. Like, <laughs> It's just, it's just bizarre. <laughs> like, all you need to do is see that still and like, okay, now I'm hooked. Now I have to see this. I don't even need to see a trailer. I need to see how did we get to this point? How does this make sense in storytelling? <laughs> I need to know. But back to Matrix. I mean, I own all three Matrix movies on DVD. And I'm really hoping that they do a continuation of the story. But Neo, because they say that they're going to reprise Neo and Trinity somewhere. I don't know if it's in this article or saw their articles, but they said that they're, he's going to be reprising his role as Neo. But I would love to see it as an old grizzled Neo that is bringing someone else into the mix to take his place. Like a passing of the torch type of thing. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I think he'd be like like the kind of like Gandalf character, like the mentor, like right. these are the ways exactly. of the Matrix. Because, I mean, <laughs> right. clearly he can still pull it off, but let's play to his age a little bit. He, yeah, this is a good 20 years after the first one. I think somewhere in the circle it actually says 16 years since the last. 
That's a good chunk of time. I know, but it doesn't... Yeah, he doesn't look like he aged a day. Oh, it's because he's a vampire. Yeah, he is. <laughs> he doesn't age. He's yeah. So he could just be the same old Neo. Go, game on. All yeah. right. <laughs> good for him. But yeah, seeing something like that where he passes the torch, I don't know if I'm quite ready for Neo to die just yet, but... Uh, I could handle that if it meant that he's like opening the way for a new generation of uh, proper cyberpunk entertainment. Mm. Outside of this obvious you know, <clears throat> role in the next cyberpunk game coming out, which I cannot wait for. But that's another story. Uh, moving on into some science news. And the headline for this, this is coming from NPR. New research cast doubt on connection between smartphone use and teen mental health. So this one oh, seemed yeah. this seemed appropriate given your background. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on this? Um, well, we're seeing a big statistical increase in loneliness for teenagers and adults, um, but okay. definitely teens. Um, it used to be that one in seven teenagers reported loneliness. It's now up to one in three. Oh, geez. Yeah. Okay. Um, and a lot of it is because um, our connections are mostly online, which are not actual connections. Um, you're not releasing serotonin the same way that you would if you were actually physically with somebody, if you were making eye contact, if you were hugging them. You do get mm-hmm. bursts of serotonin from likes on social media, which is why young people are addicted to them, because it's like a quick burst. Right, of, uh, okay. ooh, happiness, but it doesn't last. Um, so it, it's it's causing a lot of depression. Um, I see it in the kids I mentor. Um, the more times they spend on their phones, the worse they feel. Um, so we do. That's why we try to get them involved in theater, and in art, uh, sports, anything, anything we can get them involved in that gets them away from their phone for a little while. Okay, so you're. Uh, your experience is what you're going through as far as the teens that you are working with uh, goes against this article, it sounds like. And it's, well, it's it's really tough for me to comment on things. And relating back to when I was with Project Guardians is that I can give analysis all I want. I like to think that I'm an intelligent person. Well, sometimes when we get into some of these more sensitive topics where it's not just, hey, here's a cool finding that came out, here's a new technology that came out, let's just kind of glee and swoon all over it. Something like this, it really makes me pump the brakes and, like, defer to the experts really quickly. Yeah, I think it's different in different populations as well. I think you're going to see different reactions from kids in rural communities as opposed to um, more city communities. Um, why do you say that? I think that kids in rural communities tend to need technology to connect more than kids who have access to transportation or events, like they can walk to a concert or something like that. When you have kids in rural communities where the mall is an hour away, you know, Mm -hmm. um, where they can't connect a lot of times one-on-one, they have to connect via their phones um, and the internet um, to feel that connection because they're just not capable of getting what they need. So, um, because I do see with some of the kids that I work with, um, I've had some kids who were from larger populations, like even just someplace like Albany, mm-hmm. and then they move to upstate New York, and they very much struggle with not having access to community because gotcha. they can't they can't get anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> it's well, it's like the you know, I call it my first attempt at college. Uh, I went way up north, and <clears throat> I knew nobody. There was not much going on outside of the college campus. So the only interaction I had was at parties with copious amounts of alcohol. Mm. But like, that, that's it. I mean, it's not that I was super social in high school. I was actually 
fairly antisocial. But I at least had the option to do things. Like there were more things, more visible things that I could go out and do with other people. And once all of that was taken away from me, it's like, well, I have to get stimulation somewhere. And this is the first thing that's readily available. And yeah, it looks like it's the only thing that's available out here. <laughs> And that happens in small communities. We used to joke about in the town that I grew up, it's a really small town, that mm -hmm. you either um, partied or started a band to keep yourself busy. So uh, I started started a band. <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah so it's kind of depressing the way you look at this. But do you see, do you see the teens using their phone to get the quick burst of some type of pleasure, anything, or do you see it as they're escaping into their phone and trying to just escape into whatever else they can find there as opposed to in real life? I think it's both. Um, mm -hmm. I think that you can project whoever you want to be on the internet, mm -hmm. um, and you might not actually be those things. Um, there's a really amazing uh, indie film that came out. It's called 13. And uh, it's got a lot of interesting um, stories about kids project projecting that they're something else on the internet than they really are in real life. Mm -hmm. And okay. I, th I think that is part of the appeal. It's kind of like making your um, Dungeons and Dragons character. You know? gotcha. <laughs> Who am I going to be online? What are my... Mm -hmm. What are my uh, charisma roles and all of that stuff? And um, it kind of kind of helps them kind of escape into who they want to be and what they want the world to be like, because they can kind of pick and choose what they want to expose themselves to. Gotcha. Uh, in any of your research or findings or experiences, have you found anything that discusses, because like, I'm relating this back over to video games and how video games don't cause violent behavior and people who play a lot of violent video games it's there's this discussion between or centered around do the violent games cause violent behavior or do people who demonstrate aggressive and violent behavior are they attracted to the violent games so likewise with the phones i'm going to try to straffle that over to the phone usage are the phones or is the phone usage causing depression or are kids who are depressed going into phones more? But now I'm thinking about, I got too many thoughts floating around my head and my mouth can't move fast enough right now. <laughs> well, I definitely, uh, I have pretty serious opinions about the violence in video games because I love violent video games and I won't even kill a bug. Yeah, like, right. you know, so I'm like, uh, I don't think that there's a correlation. I think that people are violent when they are extremely abused. They live in violent households. Um, violence is taught. The response. Mm -hmm. um, and I do think that there's help and that there are ways to unteach violence as a response. I don't think because somebody's violent, they need to be violent forever. I definitely believe in therapeutic interventions and ways oh, to keep people good coping skills. Yeah. So, um, you know, if we can identify people who are at risk of violent behavior and try to help them figure out other ways to deal with their pain, um, I think that would decrease the violence. Um, mm -hmm. But I know so many gentle, kind, wonderful people who play violent video games and oh. Yeah, I, I do. Yeah, anytime it's brought up, like the entire gaming community collectively goes, <sighs> again, we're yeah. going to do this again. I mean, when I played Knights of the Old Republic, um, every time I got a dark side point, I would start over from my last save because <laughs> I didn't want any dark side point. Um, you know? So, I mean, that's that's you know, gamers are some of the nicest people because often you turn to gaming, gaming as a friend, you know, um, it makes you, it's a nice place for people who feel left out. And uh, those people tend to be, I feel more open to differences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Okay. So, a big gamer fan. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, we're going to move on to our last news topic of this episode, and it is for my Capital Region Unlocked segment. I need to get some type of theme music for this. I think I say that every time I mention Capital Region Unlocked. Gaming industry, or uh, news around the gaming industry within the Capital Region of New York, and this one is from News Channel 10, one of our local news stations, is program aims to find ways to get kids excited about STEM. Yay! This is fabulous. I uh, just... I, uh, I just drew a comic about that. I drew uh, two of my female characters because I have a science and a math enthusiast in my comics okay. that are both girls. And um, I just made a comic to encourage girls to be in STEM. Excellent. Get them in there. Yes, because they, they want to be there. So, um you know, just encouraging them that it is a safe place and it's no longer a boys club and let's go take it over. <laughs> it's, yeah, it definitely is no longer a boys club. And this is one of the things I acknowledge that, yes, I am a white male. Like, I, I get it. I'm, I'm a white male. My kind are the oppressor. I'm sorry. I'm genuinely sorry. I support inclusion. I support more diversity and all that good stuff. I can honestly say that it is getting better, but we still have a long way to go for full inclusivity and gender balance within the workplace. The tech fields are still very much male-dominated, but it is definitely encouraging to see more and more women getting involved. And also at my workplace, I'm seeing more and more younger women coming up through the ranks as well. Yeah. So, and I want to see more women, um, like... It's a little off topic, but more yeah. women, video game designers and programmers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've just, there are so many girl gamers. We love to game. You know, I'm always looking at games and trying to find things that I really enjoy. And I'd love to see more, you know, women involved in those discussions and the process of making the games that we love to play. Very much so. I actually just had news in Australia on, uh, from Queenship Games and... They are proudly touting that they are an all-female indie game developing company. Yeah. yeah, very cool stuff. I completely forgot where I was going to go with this. But, yeah, it's definitely coming up. More women are getting involved with games. This article isn't about women in games, by the way, but I just want to finish this last point. It, what also was encouraging to me is that the mentality and the attitude of scoffing at women who are trying to enter traditionally male-dominated fields, those people who scoff at that are generally like quickly, swiftly denounced and mocked for having those antiquated views. It's that I find encouraging as well. So like as soon as someone makes some type of even remotely like sexist or misogynistic viewpoint of like men are just better at engineering, that's just we required like people immediately trounce on that person and go, oh, shut up. Please yeah. stop that. But the point of this article, getting back to it, is that one of the local game developing studios, Vicarious Visions, is helping teachers think up and come up and get trained in ways that they can incorporate games and game design into the curriculum. And this is pretty oh, wow. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely awesome. So Vicarious Visions, they um, locally here in the Capital Region, lots of influence, worked on a ton of games, huge history of games, and uh, they're one of the original studios to really start bringing higher-end game development to the area. And I think it's fantastic that they're bringing educators and giving them tools and methods to use to bring gaming into the classroom because... There's a lot of career paths in game development as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. I wish I had that when I was in school. <laughs> well, games have also matured since we were in school as well. Uh, yeah. To the point where I was at the Hudson Valley GamerCon in Albany back in April, and I was able to uh, attend a panel where the heads of several of the local 
Game Studios were and talking about the state of gaming and game development in the capital region. And I was able to ask the question, how do they see games as a driving force in the arts? And the response I got was actually pretty surprising. I assumed that they were going to say something something positive about gaming and gaming art and how it's matured. But what the consensus was from the executives was that in their studios, it is typical for them to employ more artists or employees with artists in their job title than they do engineer. It, yeah, that makes sense. Right. Like because it, games are like so artistic and cinematic now. Right. And like it took me a, a moment to to process that. I'm like, you have more artists than engineers? I was expecting definitely more coders or developers or QA or something to that effect. But then you know they kind of they talked about it a little bit and it just rumbled around my head and I began thinking, yeah, to to your point, there's a lot of art. I mean, I always knew, and well, I shouldn't say always knew, but I always appreciated uh, a lot of the art that's in gaming, but the whole idea of you know, environmental artists, uh, character artists, storytellers, musicians, and musical composition, all the textures and all the art, like fashion. You need a background in fashion design or studios would have a need for someone with a background in fashion design to make all the different armor outfits and skins for characters. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I played Destiny quite a bit. It's my number one game right now. And every time they release a new season or a new armor set or a new activity, they're essentially having to make three full suits of armor with some type of space magic theme. One for a Titan, one for a Hunter, and one for a Warlock. So it's three themed outfits every single time. And like, that's that's a lot of fashion. <laughs> to get yeah, there. definitely. So it's really encouraging to see that these studios are taking the lead and, again, breaking the stigma. It's no longer kids in their parents' basement playing video games. Right. Right. Like that that stigma needs to go. It's that that's been dead and gone for quite a while now. Um it's I really don't even see the media even portraying gamers like that so much anymore. So like the media is finally catching up with that idea. Finally. I don't see it too much. Do you see that too much anymore? No, I think everybody games now. Even like soccer moms are playing games on their phone while they're waiting for their kids. Yeah. You know, I mean, everybody games. Yeah, it's we we may not be giving like at the same complexity level, but uh, you're still gaming. You're still gaming. Yeah, it's still, it's still gaming. <laughs> yep. It, I don't care if it's Pokemon Go or you know you're playing Battlefront or something right. you know it's still it's still gaming, yeah, you're still gaming. so you, yeah. you just combat stigma down a little bit you just combat down join yeah. us join us we have cookies we got the cookies yeah actually yeah uh actually that was my biggest surprise when i was playing pokemon like the age difference like there was like little kids and then there was like like super like there were some seniors there and so people cute. from all walks of life like everybody all playing Pokemon together. It was just, it was really cool to see this, this huge diversity of people playing this game. That's actually heartwarming, not gonna lie. Yeah, it was, it's really nice. I, I really enjoyed it. Okay. All right, so we're gonna move into the final segment of the show, the final five questions. These are five questions that range from irrelevant to irreverent. The first two are always the same. The last three have a theme. Oh, my body. One of my values just decided to come up and join me. Don't worry. I'll let you out. Yeah. I'll just the debate. Just give me a few more minutes. Hi, Sophie. Hi. Can you say hi? No, you just going to look at my face. Okay. So <laughs> so we can get this over with. She, she needs to go out, but we can. Hey, go lay down. Can you go like that? Okay, good girl. So, like I said, first you are always the same, last we have a theme. Here we go. First question, coffee or tea? 
coffee. And how do you take it? Uh, light with lots of cream and sugar. Ah, so it's the, the, the barely coffee routine. <laughs> yeah, the barely coffee coffee. I'm one of those pumpkin pumpkin spice people too. Oh, so. your season is coming. If it's not already. <laughs> I can, I can hear the excitement in your voice. I can hear the smile. Yes, yes. I am a stereotypical goth. So I love pumpkin spice and I love the fall. Okay. <laughs> All right. So second question. We know you play video games, but do you play any tabletop games? Yes. Right now I'm playing a Star Wars game with some friends of mine. And... Uh, He's letting us mix universes, so I'm playing as a Pikachu droid. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so that's been super fun. Oh boy. Okay, so I'm gonna uh, Alright, cool. Awesome. You and that's the glory <laughs> of games and RPGs. It's like whatever you can imagine, you know, screw us throwing it to the game. Yep. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I have to move on from that one. Oh, that would joke a little bit. <laughs> wow, okay. That's going to be the title of the episode, Pikachu Droids. Pikachu Droids. Okay. <laughs> Fabulous. Oh, that's, that is sad. I need to write that down. Okay. So now we're going to get into the theme, and you've mentioned it several times about how you're a goth. So we're going to do a few goth-themed questions. Okay. So first one. What is a goth movie that you would suggest everyone to watch at least once in their life? The Craft. The Craft. Is that yes. yeah, that, that came really quick? That was like right. That was right there for you. Uh, yes, I loved that movie. It was like my favorite in high school. Um, everyone used to call me Nancy because the way I dressed, because she's like the goth character, but I was really Sarah. Oh. I was the sad girl with the hippie mom. <laughs> Uh, everyone's got to watch that movie at least once in their life. Right. Yes. Question number four. How many shades of black do you have in your closet? Oh, a lot. <laughs> yeah, uh, I get constantly bombarded at work about why I don't wear colors. It was like, you wear too much black. Um, I also have tons of black eyeshadow, black lipsticks. Black nail polishes, I many, many shades of black, everything. Great. All right, final question. Halloween, is it a season or a lifestyle? It's a lifestyle. Definitely a lifestyle. <laughs> uh, yes, every day is Halloween. <laughs> that's, that's the way to be properly living your life. Yes. <laughs> I actually have a Lonely Girl story that is all about how Goth kids are really popular at Halloween. Oh, yeah. We have all the cool stuff that everybody needs, and then we go back to being picked on after Halloween. But, <laughs> but for that, it's the only time of the year we're cool. <laughs> oh, oh, you need this other eyeshadow? Oh, I got you, boo. We got you. Yeah, good. yeah, yeah. Oh, you needed some black lipstick? Yeah. I got three shades. <laughs> I got that one. Yeah, I got three shades of black. Ah, uh, <laughs> the black or darker black? No, this is midnight black. No, I need a tar. All right, anyway, moving on. <laughs> Uh, and that is all we have for this episode. Time to roll the standard end of show plugs. You can find the show notes for this episode, which contain links for all topics discussed and all other previous episodes at videogamecrosstalk.com, as well as all the social media contacts and the occasional blog post. Or you can follow me around on Twitter, Instagram, PS4, and Twitch at HyperSyntax, H-Y-P-3-R-S-I-N-T-4-X. And as for my guest, Rebecca, where can our beautiful listeners follow you around? Um, I'm on Instagram as LonelyGirl1983. And I'm also on Facebook under LonelyGirlComics. All right. And please don't forget to like, review, subscribe, and share this podcast all over your social media accounts. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and pretty much every other podcast listening service. The podcast audio also gets pushed out to YouTube, and I've recently started my hand at trying some Destiny Lord videos, as I said in the past. I've only done one so far, which is basically welcoming the new players to the Destiny universe as it's going to go free to play soon. But I'm going to start doing my own little recap of lore through the lens of had we known then what we know now. Everything. So I'm really excited to get that going. Uh, and who knows what other content I might be throwing up there. We'll see what happens. Anyway, thank you all for listening, and thank you, Rebecca, for coming to join me. 
Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I had a great time. Excellent. And in the words of Rod Sterling, science fiction is the improbable made possible, and fantasy is the impossible made probable.